Good evening, and welcome to the Thirst Eye podcast, where we take our ideas, visualize them in our third eye, and bring them into reality so we can talk about them in tangible ways. I'm here with some of my freaks and friends. We are all different agents in this journey to enlightenment. I'm Agent 19, and I am the one hiding under your bed, teeth ground sharp and eyes glowing red. I'm Agent 13, and I am the one hiding under your stairs, fingers like snakes and spiders in my hair. I'm Agent 11, and I am the clown with a tearaway face, here in a flash and gone without a trace. Agent 9, I am the who when you call it who's there. On a dark and stormy night, while wandering delirious through the forest, you may come across something you might not understand. And that thing just might be our Halloween special. <laughs> we will be discussing every goth's favorite holiday and fear itself. I guess we could start by saying like where does halloween come from because it's like a mishmash of a bunch of different things uh so halloween essentially it's interesting because there's actually a bunch of um holidays spanning throughout a bunch of col- um cultures that sort of happen around the same time of year and there's sort of like a pretty general consensus that sometime between October 31st and the first couple days of November, it seems that there's like this general consensus that the veils between the worlds have thinned. And um, that's where we sort of get um, different holidays like um, All Saints Day, which is probably the closest thing to what we have Halloween now. But then there's also um, Samhain, which oddly enough, I feel like I should throw this out there for everyone who didn't know this because I also didn't know this and was a fake witch because I've just been reading this on Tumblr for years. But the holiday that is spelt like Samhain is not Samhain, it's Samhain. I'm uncultured. You probably knew that, but it's fine. Um, But that sort of originated as some sort of like a Celtic thing uh, where they were again sort of warding away spirits but there's also some sort of like fairy connotations with that which is super fun um so as a proud proud irish i will gladly take claim over Samhain and um like dancing naked in the forest and worshiping fairies like i fuck with that but yeah i think it's just really fascinating how there's just like a bunch of really random holidays that are sort of taking place around this time but if we want to go back to All Saints Day, like I mentioned before, being the closest to Halloween, uh, that was sort of something that a lot of people think were an attempt for um, Christians and more of like the Western civilized European culture to sort of get the pagans who were uh, practicing Samhain and other sort of more um, spiritual like ancestor worship um, like religions to sort of convert to Christianity by sort of turning this holiday that was already popular as like a day where the veil has thinned 
to sort of dressing up um, to sort of ward away these spirits and also different activities like celebrating like dead saints and shit like that but that's where a lot of our traditions come from like uh you know um jack-o'-lanterns and trick-or-treating and whatnot yeah so halloween as we know it um today has its roots in those ancient celebrations mainly all saints day and Samhain but what we know as Halloween today really came up in the 30s when trick-or-treating and haunted houses first really rose to popularity and you was you saw these traditions in the way that we see them today start being practiced yeah, I think it's important to to think about this when we're like examining our modern holidays, but our modern holidays are so like wildly different than our origins and we're just sort of delving into that with this Halloween episode today um, where we've sort of lost an awareness of sort of the more spiritual aspects that we were practicing. Um, holidays for in the past and yeah we sort of just are focused more on this early halloween like you mentioned that was started around the 30s and that is how we see halloween today not necessarily as a spiritual event but we do see that in like some of the costumes and whatnot yeah earlier um you brought up how there's a bunch of traditions that um, were practiced back in the day. And I was wondering if any of us had any traditions that we wish would come back from past. Because hmm. like back um, in the 18th in the 19th century, people would um, use this time to play all sorts of divination games. Like they would peel an apple and then throw the apple peel behind them. And supposedly that would spill the name of their future spouses. Yeah, that's um, so funny because I was actually looking that up um, like a couple weeks ago with my roommate because yeah, I think we were just like looking up divination games. I don't really know why, just just witchy things. But yeah, I kept getting all of these results for like um, little Halloween divination games like that. I think that's really cute. I feel like we should definitely bring that back. Um, I mean, I like Halloween the way it is. It's just like kind of a bummer, you know, cause like when you're a kid, you can go get all that candy and whatnot. And then when you're older, it just sort of turns into like, uh, who has the cutest costume thing. And I'm like, I'm just trying to like, serve these looks but not like you know some some people are just trying to look sexy on halloween i'm just trying to be a kid again and like make a cool ass costume and get candy so i feel like if i could change anything um i would make halloween an adult holiday again and we would um summon demons and dance naked around a campfire while worshiping the moon or something 
don't know about all that, but I do agree that it has become more of a contest than actual enjoyment. And one thing I really wanted to get into when I was one thing I really wanted to get into was like special effects and playing with liquid latex and like doing extravagant looks with like gory looks and I think that could tie into like making Halloween fun again and expressing creativity through it yeah I think that's a good point I feel like Halloween at its core is such like creative fun energy and um yeah i i enjoy how like back in the day when halloween first started you know people people weren't going to spirit halloween to buy their halloween costumes they weren't going on amazon they were like making them with things they had around their house and i feel like we should really get back to that spirit because i feel like that's really important and it's yeah it's like you can look really good and have a cool costume with just a few bucks and some ingenuity. Um, but a lot of people don't want to like put that ingenuity in. They just want to like buy something cute and plop it on. But realistically, I feel like the spirit of Halloween is all about, I don't know, creating your own monster. And um, sure you can do that by ordering stuff, but there, there's a lot, it's a lot more satisfying when there's like actual creation on your part that goes into it, whether it's the makeup or the outfit or whatever. Does anyone have like any fun stories about either going trick or treating or to a haunted house or any fun Halloween thing? Anybody get razor blades in their candy? Um. <laughs> Okay, so about that, about the razor blades and candy and, like, candies being drugged, I found out that that wasn't even based on anything real. The, like, one thing it was based on was that there was a kid that on Halloween got into his uncle's drugs and I think he overdosed or something because he's a little kid. Um, And so because of that, everyone started getting all hysterical about it yeah and, there was like, there was even yeah yeah like even x-rays and um stations that you could get your candies checked yeah i'm trying to think of where the razor blade thing comes from because i know that had to be a thing for people to talk about it but again that has to be a really isolated incident also i don't know how you don't realize there's a razor blade in your candy like that would be like a fucked up Snickers or whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, I did I did watch this thing the other day about this dude who um, was like in a bunch of debt. So on Halloween, he like gave his kids a bunch of like pixie sticks that he laced with cyanide um, in an attempt to like kill off his kids and get some insurance money. And it only worked on one of his kids, but they I think they called him like the Candyman killer or something. Um, but yeah, like that was, that was like not a random incident. That was like someone who knew those kids. So yeah, I, 
I feel like for the most part, people aren't trying to like murder children on Halloween. Same with parents who think like kids are gonna get edibles or whatever. Like, nah, they they ain't wasting a good high on your child. Like, that's not how that works. Um, oh, before we got on that tangent though, I think we were talking about um, stories or something, Halloween stories. Um, but I, I can't think of anything in particular other than me just loving Halloween. Um, okay, okay, but remember that one time that we went into the void? We were in a haunted house. It was oh, one of yeah. those types of haunted houses that it's all black and you have to like navigate your way through it um, yeah. without being able to see in front of you. It was and like then we took black a wrong turn. strobe light, essentially. Yeah. With a bunch of like creepy crawly like actors sort of like hiding in the black curtains, like jumping out at you or whatever. But yeah that was so weird because we were just like trying to feel our way through this blackout haunted house and somehow we just like got confused as to which way we were going because there must have been like a gap in the flow or whatever so i think we turned the wrong way in the haunted house and we we ended up in the back rooms yeah we literally ended up in some like back room like it was like the void i was so confused (laughs) as to what part of the haunted house if that was that was like because it literally was just like a black room but there's just like a strobe light and we were so confused like it literally felt like we got teleported to another dimension <laughs> and then we looked in that other room and there was just like some random standing in there and we like we were like nah <laughs> we were, so yeah we, we just, zoomed out of there so fast. and didn't we end up going the wrong direction and making everyone like go in a circle yeah i feel like <laughs> we we fucked that whole thing up but we did get sucked into another dimension, which was fun. Yeah, see, Halloween, it's, it's like the thinning of the veil. We got we got sucked into another dimension. Um, I don't know. Did you guys have, like, a Halloween costume that you would always wear? Like, is there something you would gravitate towards? Because I feel like I've, I've always been, like, a witchy vampire girl. But I do remember one year when I was a kid, I literally dressed up as Scooby-Doo. Like, it, like, and you might wonder how, like, a young girl dresses up like Scooby-Doo, and it's, like, literally, like, a fursuit, essentially. Like, dressed up like a mascot, Scooby-Doo. But I was determined to be Scooby-Doo, and I did it. Some things I've dressed up for Halloween, it's like I I used to you know vampires and witches too same um when I was a kid I dressed up like Raven from Teen Titans also like Sadako from The Ring and one year I think I think it was in high school I dressed up like an old man but yeah mostly like recently I've just been um a witch every year for Halloween because I'm just you know it's there I have the stuff yeah, it's easy. I feel like it's easy to whip up. Oh yeah, definitely. Like a witch or a vampire if you had to, you know? Mm-hmm. Black yeah. dress, you know, splatter some stickiness, be some life. Oh, this, um, this one thing, my favorite Halloween costume. So when I was three, I wanted to be a clown witch, um, combination of a clown and a witch, obviously. We're ahead no. of your time. 
of the iconicity. Yeah, 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 it was so awesome. I loved it. And so then um when I was 18, I recreated the outfit as like a clown witch again and I was grown up. It was fun, it was cool. And I think I'm I'm going to be a clown again for Halloween this year. And it's just yeah, I love it. I love being a clown and a witch at the same time. That's powerful energy right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for my hair, when I was three, we just put, um, you know, those little, like, um, st- plastic strings you put on top of, like, presents and stuff, and they just stick there. They're like the, like, the, the swirly stringy thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Ribbons. Yeah, we put ribbons in my hair. We put those in my hair. It was so cute. Oh, my God, I love it. Oh, I also forgot to mention, um, for my first Halloween when I was one, well, I wasn't even one yet, but um, I was baby. I was the devil. Oh my god, it was so cute. <laughs> they said you're gonna dress my little baby up like the devil. That's fun. Yeah, I had a I had horns and a tail and everything. It was so cute. Wow, we stand honestly. <laughs> I think, oh, my first Halloween costume was probably Tigger or Winnie the Pooh. It was one of those two. Oh, that's cute. I don't really remember any costumes that I did. I just remember really loving the Scream costume. That's the only one I can remember. Apart from the last one I wore, which is one that I created, a character that created which was a evil launch lady and she had a mole and a spatula and one of those hairnets and wild hair and she was super greasy and had blood on her um shirt and she was a good one i love that so much that's like unexpected villain energy but like definitely had some lunch ladies scare the shit out of me in my childhood so the those were scary 13 you've been bringing up like the concept of the veil thinning around this time of year and i was wondering if anybody has like any experience with that i don't feel like i have any tangible proof of it like i've had plenty of paranormal like ghost experiences and stuff but i I wouldn't say they correlated with Halloween, but I I would say it's more so of like a like a feeling you might get around this time of year. Um I don't know, I just always felt the creepy crawlies. So I have somewhat of I think it's more freaky than spooky because Essentially, I was walking around neighborhood, which is like a suburban area with little houses, and I came across this intersection of roads, and at the corner, all you see is a foreign-looking, thick, white, man who had a fluorescent yellow shirt and yellowing teeth and 
I had to walk past him in order to get to where I was going. So he waved me down and was like, hey, do you think I could use your telephone? And and like this really, really European, UK accent. And I was taken aback because like, you don't really see anyone with that accent here ever. And also, like, doesn't he have a phone? This was like probably 2019. And I was like, well, don't you have a phone? And he was like, no, I don't got my telephone with me. And, and I was just like, what's happening right now? And then he was like, I need to fetch a cab. Can you call one? And, and I was like, I don't even know if there's cabs here. Right. Like, and so I, I looked it up. I called a cab and I was like, yeah, you're going to pick up the kid here. Well, it wasn't really a kid, but you're going to pick up this person here. And so I leave him there to tell him to wait for the cab. And he goes like, okay. And so I had to leave by like after that interaction. And like not even five minutes later the cab calls and goes like hey i'm here and i'm like do you not see a person there there's there should be like a tall white man with a fluorescent yellow shirt and he's like no there's nothing like that on this street like i don't see it <laughs> and and that's so, so weird but like he just disappeared out of nowhere just as how he appeared out of seemingly nowhere that's just yeah that's really sketchy he was the ghost of Halloween's past just popping in for a quick um cup of tea uh, yeah this was like midday dang he said, um, gotta take the taxi back to England. Now the cabs probably hate me. They probably thought it was like some prank call. Yeah, who does that? Just call me a taxi, but leave. Especially <laughs> how they don't have a lot of like customers right now. They right. were probably like, uh, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, that's so freaky. <laughs> yeah, like another way that um, you could experience the thinning of the veil, it's like you could experience it internally and you could use the, um, the energy that the season has to like help your inner work and other stuff like that. Um, so does anybody have any ways that they use this season's energy um i feel like i'm not as much of a witch but i feel like yeah the thinning of the veil thing 
is more so of like a heightened energy than it is like everyone's just seeing like dead people floating around you know um or having british people show up at their doorstep but it's more yeah it's more so like this heightened spiritual energy and i know like a lot of wicca and pagan people who i mean i i dabbled in that for a while but i can't say i'm an expertise you know but um i know around Samhain there's like that's a big night for um like coven activity um and like again i'm not saying like anyone's doing anything spooky but it is a good time to sort of harness this um spiritual power so it might be a good time for um yeah doing personal work so if you have like a personal like goal you're trying to reach or something you're trying to purge or move on from that could be a fun time um but yeah if i would say that it is generally a good time for magic also i think halloween this year it might be a full moon i can't remember if that's correct but i feel like i've heard people talking about that which would obviously already increase that already heightened energy but i guess i'm i'm not one to like play with um trying to communicate with the dead but obviously if that's something you're interested in the th- when the veils are thin would probably be an ideal time so whether you're trying to ouija board or seance sit up or whatever um i mean that's probably a time where you'll be successful but i also um invite caution if you're um trying to talk to the dead or invite the dead into your spaces because that's a little um sketch at times so earlier um we were talking about different costumes and how we related to that and that makes me think about how we as queer people um have a special connection to Halloween. Absolutely. Yeah. I <laughs> I it's like queer queer people, weird people, like there's definitely like this subsection of people who are really obsessed with Halloween. And I think it's sort of natural some people just sort of have a natural attraction towards things that are like spooky or dark and that could just be a product of someone who you know feels a little like misunderstood by society but i don't know it's it's something i definitely see within myself because i've always been like attracted to like villains and tv shows or like always been attracted to lots of Halloween media when I was a kid like for some reason queers and like um thick girls would always just like those were the emos like they they'd be watching Tim Burton and doing god knows what um but I, I do feel like we we feel a certain pride in sort of being an outcast and I feel like that's probably just like a coping mechanism for us um to sort of armor ourselves with these darker things so that people can't accuse us of being dark because we've already sort of claimed that as our own and found power in it 
but it some of it could also just be like morbid fascination with dark things or it, it could be a wide array of things but a lot of it I think it's just finding power in a certain freakiness yeah I vibe with that Would you because guys- <laughs> I know that um when Nine and I were growing up we really um identified with the Adams family because they're um a family that is a family of outcasts and they also have like a seemingly like unending flow of like other relatives that they don't know about and um this really relates to our experience as outsiders and how they're outsiders but they don't care and they just like live that way without any qualms about it Mm, that's a really good point because the Adams family I feel like the Adams family is just like the perfect family in my mind they kind of like live up on a hill in their little mansion or whatever where sort of in their own world that they've created and I feel like um, queer people or people who sort of feel outcasted tend to do that and have this um, thing where they create their own family Um, you choose these people that have similar interests so they stay in their bubble of their spooky little world and they do stay unbothered about the rest of the world so that is a really great thing about them they're really such a, a good example of like a good healthy strong family in such a weird way Morticia and Gomez like love each other in a way that like almost no straight couple is ever depicted in media. Like they have like that undying passion for each other um, and they've like raised a great family. So it's like, they're almost like this, um, like this perfect token of heterosexuality. Um, But I feel like it's interesting how um, these like freaks have like this beautiful, happy family but everything they have sort of goes against um, the American image, but they still sort of have the American dream. Um, It's just like on their own terms. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are trying to do. Um, They they feel outcasted, but they still sort of want that perfect life, um, that sort of slice of peace in their spooky little mansion, I don't know. Well, I don't think they're going for an American dream. They're a Spanish family, and like you were saying, they have their chosen family, and it, I also low-key think that um, Gomez is high-key uh, actual butch. Like, with all that poetry behind it, she has to be a nice butch with her dyke and um the fact that they have like such an extensive family also shows like how they are um a span of spanish lineage and it's beautiful to see that they have created their own 
little bubble but at the same time they don't just stay in their bubble they go out and try they don't shut others view of the world down they continue with their own view but they're just like yeah we celebrate everyone and even though others don't celebrate them they are just like good for you for being you and good for us for being us and that's my favorite thing about the adams family and also um i would say my favorite character is wednesday adams because she's the cutest Yeah, Wednesday Adams is um, such a baddie. She um, literally said, land back. She literally lit the colonizers on fire. Ugh, her mind. It's the most iconic thing ever. It's the movies and the show are just gorgeous the way they're played out yeah and um something really another thing that's like really great about them is that they are a subversion of the trope that we see in horror where outsiders are vilified they're turned into monsters because basically what they are they're a group of their family is basically a group of weirdos um, that, as we said, they have their own lives. They have um, such a happy life, and they're so unbothered, and they don't—they don't even care about like how society might view them. When they also celebrate their family lineage even though people are like oh that's so horrific that your great great aunt was a witch how could you live with that and they're just like yes but don't worry we told um Wednesday that she needs to go to college first like she's a queen So society views others that, like, people that don't fit in the norm are hetero, white, cis, so on and so forth norm. They view them as monsters and villains, and they really fear them. That has me thinking, like, about our society's relationship with fear. Well, obviously our society doesn't have a good relationship with fear. Like, I feel like there's an extreme amount of fear that lives within the collective that is sort of not consciously acknowledged. Um, But you definitely feel it, especially in 2020, because this is the year where our fears has sort of become manifest and we're all sort of dealing with fear but then on the other hand there's like this halloween media that's sort of been created um like when we're taking that in we're sort of 
acknowledging that we're being scared. It's like we know that is playing on our fears. So I feel like uh, it's kind of like freeing when you're in this time of year because um, it's like we're finally allowed to be scared and like and it feels safe to be scared but it's because the things that we're scared of at this time of year we sort of have um, shoved into a box of like not being real or being fake or yada yada Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that like the fear we feel is still very real and the fear we have of like a monster jumping out at us at a haunted house is still very much related to um, whatever fears we may carry personally, whether that's like fears of dying, fear of heights, fear of bugs, you know, you can have a fear of anything. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you're, that's valid, but I'm going to have to take the opposite end and say that fear's not real and I refuse to feel fear and I don't believe it and if fear comes to get me I'm gonna punch in his face break its fucking nose like <laughs> don't come to me or, or do it, do it, come at me come at me bitch, let's see what happens you're gonna catch these hands, let's fucking go you know fears, like, you don't have to feel fear, you can refuse to feel it you know, you're like acknowledge something like is scary like it looks scary like like you see someone with all their skin melting off you can be like okay yeah it's supposed to be like scary and gross or whatever but also like (laughs) fuck you like it's just it's just something that's there i wouldn't say that's not actually fear though i would just say that's a coping mechanism that humans have to sort of brush off things like that but that doesn't change the fact that that imagery of a person with their skin melting off is like abnormal and concerning whether it's an actual person whose skin's melting off or whether it's like a movie you know and I I can relate to the idea of not having feet like there's definitely a point in my life where I was like I'm not afraid of anything yada yada (laughs) because some people are like oh I'm afraid of heights I'm afraid of bugs I'm afraid of this and that and like none of that stuff really scares me uh haunted houses have never really been that scary for me but it's also I'm sort of a control freak so I won't really like allow myself to get scared um yeah but I I feel like again that could be part of it too like you don't want to allow yourself to get scared but yeah I feel like everyone does have like really deep-seated subconscious fears but I feel like it's mainly just like the confusion of life it's, it's mm-hmm. not like, I'm afraid of spiders, but obviously people do have like irrational phobias and stuff like that, which is really fascinating. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I don't really relate to fears like that, but if you guys like have fears like that, I'd be interested in hearing about it. Yeah, you can like see fear, acknowledge it, accept it and move on. Like don't don't get scared, but just yeah. Like, it's like yeah. a healthy relationship from fear. But if you run from fear too much, like if you try to convince yourself that you're not afraid of anything, like I guarantee you, there'll be a point in your life where you're like actually afraid of something. But yeah, yeah, it, said, it's just all about that healthy relationship with it. I feel like when you said like irrational fears 
like let me tell you about this irrational fear i've had since i was like eight so i've always had like since i was eight i've had this irrational fear that someone is going to come up behind me and slice my achilles heel and like and i don't know why and i don't really like having like my like i guess ankle area uncovered in public because it's like if the air hits it i'm like oh that's it's it's gonna happen they're gonna get me That's wild. Maybe you just saw some something happen, like in a movie, someone got their thingy sliced and now you're just <laughs> constantly on edge. But that's so funny. But also I, I kind of relate to that because like once you imagine the sensation of that being cut, I can imagine like being proactively like stay the fuck away from my ankle. <laughs> yeah. I used to be a scaredy cat as a kid. Um, my biggest fear from when I was a kid was I had cholrophobia, the fear of clowns. Um, and that stems from the movie It. I actually didn't know that Pennywise was fake for, a long, for the longest time because I got the timeline mixed up in my head where I thought I saw Pennywise in my dream first. And then I started seeing him in, like, the movie section on the box of, like, the DVDs and stuff. And that freaked me out. And for the longest time, I was scared of clowns. I'm not scared of clowns anymore. I actually love clowns. They're, like, yeah. really iconic. I was about to say, that's so ironic that you used to be afraid of clowns. Because now a clown is such a big part of, like, your aesthetic, I feel like. But... I, I relate to being a weenie when I was a kid, though. I was the biggest weenie when I was a kid. And once I started to grow up, I was like, I'm not afraid of anything. But I, that was just me coping with me being such a weenie as a kid, I think. <laughs> yeah, the way that I ended up like conquering my fear was doing that was basically absorbing my fear into my personality and becoming my fear that's really fascinating maybe that's why there's like that's what my goth people are the way they are like maybe they just used to have like a a deep-seated fear of like death or whatever and now they're just like i'm I've overcome this by just wearing bla black all of the time and like making everything coffin shaped and like, you know? Maybe, I mean, personally, I've, I've never been afraid of like dark things, but I remember growing up as a kid, I was always afraid of like, um, like mall Santas and like the Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. And I did not like those. Um, and like things like that, I, I was afraid of, but I wasn't really like, and I never feared like vampires or like, like things that are like evil looking or whatever. Mm, I get that. Yeah, I don't feel like I had like lots of sort of irrational monster fears. Yeah, um, like I, I feel like fear like isn't real, but also like, part of fear like helped our species survive to get to where we are like at this point because if you're not like cautious or suspicious of things 
in, in the wild or when you're like running around as a hunter gatherer, you know, you can get clocked real easy because like death is just, it's coming. It, it could, it could be there in a second. And so I feel like, like fear is a thing that helped them survive, but I just, I like personally don't believe it's real because it's, it's on that thing where it's like nothing is real. Like, everything's just a chemical reaction. Well, even if you um, map that chemical reaction, that chemical reaction is real. But I get what you're saying. If you don't believe that the fear is real, then it can't hurt you. And earlier in 19, you were saying that vampires don't really scare you or monsters like that never really scared you. I think that's because those monsters were conceived in a different time and they reflected that society's anxieties and maybe back then people were actually scared that a monster was going to get them yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah because i i want to say in our society now we've sort of replaced like those monsters um with like sort of true crime or like actual monsters we do know exist. Yeah, Um, like Donald Trump. Yeah, like Donald Trump. But that's why we sort of have like these slasher films and things like that because they start to emulate things which are more realistically horrifying about our modern day society, which is like mass violence and murder and assault and things like that. So I feel like that's why that's sort of how our generation's been moving towards in terms of um, like Halloween content and like scary content. But I think what you were saying about the hunter gatherers or whatever was a good point. Um, I wanna, I feel like I sort of have this theorem, which I don't even think it's a theorem. I think it's just true, which is like all fear is essentially the fear of death. Like, that's what every single fear just boils back down to, is just fear of death. Because what if you're afraid of heights, you're afraid of falling and dying. If you're afraid of bugs, you're afraid of, like, some sort of attack or injury that leads to, de- like, almost every single thing you're afraid of at the end of the day, it kind of just boils down to, like, that uncertainty about death. And I feel like that's something that's interesting to look at. Um, and and yeah, I feel like once you sort of work with your core relationship for death, you might sort of um, alleviate some of those fears in your life, but obviously some fears are irrational, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like that's pretty accurate. Like our brain is like, be scared. If you're scared of something, you can avoid it and you won't die. Yeah, exactly. It's like our body is hardwired to try its hardest not to die. So any reaction we have as that we perceive as fear is just like our our fight or fight or fight fight or flight activating um, within us because our body's trying to like save our lives. Essentially, it doesn't want to die. Yeah, um, and that kind of reminded me of like. It can, like, also fit into with, like, avoidant personalities or, like, 
because you know av- avoid this and you won't die like if you're procrastinating something you're avoiding it because like in your head like you know you're not gonna die but it's just like the feeling it gives you like it makes you feel dread like to like you have so many assignments so you'll just ignore it because it just feels dreadful to face it mm-hmm. you know does that make sense yeah 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 that makes sense and even social fears like the fear of rejection if you're rejected from your tribe then that means that you can't survive on your own as a human because humans need a tribe to survive in the wild and that's part of the hardwiring of the primal nature of fear and earlier 13 also brought up different genres of horror and how they relate to our society's fears and something that has really been coming up lately that I'm really glad is a genre of horror that's been more popular as of lately a horror that deals with societal fears such as racism and um, movies like Get Out and movies about classism like Us all these like mainly Jordan Peele movies also oh a a thing that I do actually kind of fear um all of that like surveillance technology like Amazon Alexa or like Google Voice or whatever like all those things like that like smart devices an absolute no (laughs) um yeah those are not I don't like them they're there to survey you they're like personally I'm not afraid of 5G I'm not one of those people that are like oh 5G is gonna end the world like but (laughs) Amazon is so sus and then they're just like here we'll put a drone in your house also that Elon Musk brain chip yo like what the fuck yeah, if we're, if we're talking fears here, I definitely agree. I've always been very sus of technology, and I think that's why a lot of, like, sort of... I don't know if it's necessarily, like, horror, but we're definitely getting some interesting, like, kind of spooky takes on technology, whether it's, like, Black Mirror, which can be cheesy, but I, I know there's, like, other films and stuff that sort of plays on, like, futures and stuff that are very heavily reliant on technology. And, yeah, I, I almost find that scarier than actual, like, bloody gory horror. Oh, yeah, definitely. That one episode of Black Mirror, um, I've only seen two episodes of Black Mirror, but it's the one you showed me, Eleven. The one where, like, they can take pictures with their eyes. And, like, they have a, like, their Instagram or whatever rating is their social rating. Do you know, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, that one was freaky. Yeah. Yeah, I hate that. Like, I'd never want to have a social rating. I would be so, like, just afraid of being alive. Like, that's just so much stress. But I feel like that one was a pretty successful in portraying like 
the anxieties and thing and like superficiality that is sort of like expected and almost required on social media. Yeah, and I, I feel like that just again goes to highlight how horror isn't just like a, a scary movie. It's it's speaking like to a larger point about the society it's it's made in and the time period it's made in. Um, but yeah, if you go back and look at um, all of the monsters and all of the things that were popular at certain periods of time, it really does speak to those time periods. Um, and we've been sort of um, researching lots of monsters and stuff in preparation for this pod. And um, I mean, you don't really realize it when you're just like learning about these monsters and stuff because you just sort of take them as sur- surface value. But the more you unpack it, you can sort of realize what it's saying. So I know a big one is um, that vampires and especially Dracula have to do a lot with fears of sexuality. And uh, that was made at a time where sexuality was very repressed. But, you know, Mr. Dracula, he was all sexy. He'd be penetrating people with his fangs. Um, like, it's, it's like supposed to be kind of sexual. So it like borders on this like taboo. But um, if you look at all the different portrayals of the vampires though, like Nosferatu, for example, that was specifically curated to that culture, which was like post-World War One Germany by um, essentially giving him a big hook nose and making him look like a Jew because they were very anti-Semitic at the time. Um, and there's like lots of symbolism about that. So like clearly they're sort of like trying to, um, like that, um, director was trying to project and obviously make problematic, but points um, about the time that were social commentary. So if you look at all horror movies as social commentary, you could be kind of surprised and kind of disturbed um, at what you see. Yeah, and these monsters and these stories, they're our culture's folklore. Because back in the day, they had their own monsters that they would make. Um, For example, in uh, the native um, cultures of, I think, Northeast Americas, there is the Wendigo, which talks about how during the winter, it's um, hard to eat, and sometimes people resort to, resort to cannibalism. And the Wendigo is basically a giant creature that consumes humans, and that's something that that relates to that culture. Our sort of modern day folklore is also like found on the internet with stories such as Slenderman. Yeah, I think it's fun that um, we do still have monsters of our own origin and we're still sort of creating this mythology 
because we did say that something that's a lot more prominent is the more like true crime slasher style but i'm i'm glad that we're sort of staying true to our human traditions and concocting these monsters but i feel like like the creepypasta thing is accurate because it's it's much more uh, true to our culture's style of storytelling um and it sort of takes us back to sort of like this uh oral storytelling tradition that probably originated thousands of years ago of just like telling scary stories but now it's just sort of being done on the internet and i think that's really interesting um but obviously i'm sure there's things about slenderman or any creepy pasta that has sort of like been tweaked to sort of feel relevant to our society and i think that's why that works for us and why that's such a popular phenomenon so are we going to talk about like um appropriation of like different monsters and stuff and like how people turn it into like commodity how does one appropriate a monster well like gonna get into it yeah i mean unpack but i i don't know if i believe you can appropriate a monster but feel free to enlighten me so how the wendigo is a native american monster right well a lot of like Native American people don't want to talk about it outside their tribe because like you're not supposed to talk about it with outsiders. And I, I, I don't like. I guess just I have to say white people, but um, they turn it into like a show, um, like that one episode of Supernatural about the Wendigo, and it's yeah. like kidnapping people and hanging them in a cave or something. But the Wendigo has been appropriated and bastardized. Um, by, like, white culture, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, Eleven, Nine, do you want to, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, adding to what you've, you were, you said about that, Nineteen, it also goes into the way that it's portrayed visually because the director that created the antlered image of the Wendigo didn't bother to even research the traditions and the stories and the culture that the Wendigo came from, what the Wendigo means, not even like what the Wendigo was supposed to look like. Um, And so he basically created a commercialized bastardization, like you said, of the Wendigo that has horns and is meant to look more scary to Western audiences because that sells more. Yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of, I get what you're saying. Like, I think it's, you know, nice to a certain extent that Wendigo is sort of coming up in the monster conversation more because I don't know, I feel like from my perspective, we have like vampires, witches, like zombies, like there's only so many monsters. So I feel like, uh, Wendigo sort of entering the monster conversation regardless of, I mean, obviously I'm not native, so I don't know the rules about talking about Wendigos to to people who don't, aren't supposed to know about that. But I think it would be great to celebrate more 
Wendigos or whatever being in the media, um, if there was like actually done well. But again, yeah, the supernatural episode or whatever use of that, again, with the horns, it's it's sort of been created into this thing that it it's not it's more of like a caricature of like the wendigo realistically if we're making content about monsters i i would love to see some content about that that's actually made well and culturally accurate and includes like native actors and things like that um but that's just my opinion. I- I feel like even that framing is a reflection of this sort of culture vulture mentality where these figures and cultures are basically just commodities for someone to like pick and portray and um, put out there like that. But I'm not faulting you for that because that is the culture that you live in I, I, yeah i don't know if i agree with that but i i agree i agree with that and there's also like it's not just the wendigo the genie also like the the genie and the lamp in aladdin like that's cute but that's not what a genie is that's not what a djinn is that's been appropriated and bastardized also uh, yeah um also like I don't know if this counts, but like you mentioned Nosferatu earlier, and yeah, he is um, like a a caricature to use against Jewish people. Um, He was made to like make an enemy out of them or whatever. Um, And like, like, I don't know, like the vampire and the sucking and, and everything, and I can't use words right, but I'm sure you're getting the vibes I'm putting down. Um, yeah I'm getting it yeah and it's just it's not just the Wendigo it's a lot like Japanese yokai and they're not cute little anime um, yeah or whatever it's and those are only the ones I can think of off the top of my head right now but pretty much every culture has had things plucked and tweaked and changed um, to like look a certain way that someone else who's not familiar with them wants them to look like and i just feel like it's something we should talk about yeah i I don't know i think it's people are if the people who know about these things are saying do not talk about it we do not want to talk about it we don't want it portrayed anywhere it should not be because essentially it is not just um a dishonor to these cultures but it's also messing with what they're saying should not be messed with it is also you're cursing your family lineage by um you're not necessarily trying to make fun of the cultures but you are messing with what you're being told not to mess with so it, that also comes um, this rhetoric also comes with the whole Christianity demonizing anything that is not God. Like, they literally <laughs> think that anything that is not God is a demon. And adding to what what you said about um, the way that if you talk, like, talk about portray these things that this culture says not to portray, it, it's um, because 
to them it's real to them this is real this is their lived like what they lived through and it is real because it's real to them because the reality like the there's like a barrier between reality and fiction and it's porous like things move in between those and it's like a feedback loop that like affects each other yeah and we should not make mockery of these things yeah exactly and adding and it to- also goes um to like all these like the voodoo culture and like all these um other deities from Africa being demonized, especially um, all these white people, mainly Christian, like I was saying, saying that um, they're demons mainly because they don't fit their narrative. Yeah, exactly. Also, I'd like to say that voodoo and hoodoo are different, and if you're a white person or if you're not of African origin, just do you cannot do hoodoo. Hoodoo is not for you, and it's it's not yours. Just don't, don't look at it. People actually want to start like fucking with spirits of ancestors who aren't theirs, because so much of that magic has to do with like your ancestors and your bloodline and like certain relationships you have to certain deities, and when that's like not yours to mess with. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Adding to what Nine said about the way that Christianity pervades the way that we think about what uh, what's monstrous, what what's horrific, and just horror in general. Um, like one, like the Wendigo, like using that as an example, the reason that they added horns to it is because horned figures um have been turned into demons and that's something that christianity has done is turned um the european pagan horned gods into a demon yeah i think well christianity is sort of built into the western moral framework like as much as we might not want that or like that i feel like that's just very much a fact and in media especially especially like early early portrayals of monsters we're sort of have the christianity thing like shoved down your throat because monsters are afraid of crosses and churches and they can't go on hollow ground and like all of that stuff. So it's almost like a lot of the messaging in these movies is sort of um, this like deliverance message that all of these scary things can happen and this and that, but if you have God or if you repent your sins or if you give it all to Jesus, like you're saved. And I think that's, I don't know, it's really fascinating. Um, And I I don't know, as much as, I, I agree with like finding shelter in God, but I don't I don't know why Christianity has such a since the dawn of time, it's like they want to pump us with that fear to sort of get us on their side. And that's sort of again with the hell thing. Like a a lot of um Christianity like there's it's up for debate where if hell was even in the Bible 
or if it was just something that was made up later to get people to try to give them incentive to join the church because people are very much fear motivated. So it's almost like this is just like a continued tactic of the church from all of those years ago. But the church just, you know, they're always demonizing things they don't understand. And that could go back as far as like burning witches and all of that um, because they didn't understand this thing. So they got rid of it. Um, But I don't know, you could see um, that even almost in haunted houses nowadays, because I was really fascinated to find out that a lot of haunted houses um, or like the earlier haunted houses were actually run by charities and churches as ways to like raise funds or whatever. But I've actually personally been to a haunted house like this that was run by a church. And it'll be like a really like elaborate, like scary as all hell haunted house. And then at the end, they just like bring you into a room and try to convert you to Christianity. And you like don't realize that was part of like their plan but it was and like the weird relationship between christianity and horror is just like kind of bonkers to me and i'm just now sort of realizing that this is just like a continued fear tactic that like originates from the very origin of christianity i don't know yeah um religion is like, I guess I just have to say Christianity. They're caught using fear all the time. Fear and shame, those are their go-to moves. They love it. And I feel like people like in power, like who are head of the church and the state and whatever, they they f- have like the most fear. Like they're afraid of people not being controlled by them. And um, they like, use fear as well they're just they're just full of it they're just full of it yeah it's really important for us to be aware of these hidden thoughts that um we get just from living in a society um for example like christianity pervading our sense of morality and us basing the way that we view the world even if we don't practice christianity we still um just by virtue of growing up in a christian society we take on those traits we take on all of these things even if we say um i'm a witch now or i'm a hindu but we still have that um christian mindset That's accurate. That's a really good point. So it's like, you're always going to have like the mindset of the culture you grew up in, no matter like how much you change, like because you were there and that's how you were raised. It's always going to be in the back of your head. Um, and so you you can't fully adopt other cultures without, like you have to be like really careful about it. Because there's always going to be, like, a certain way you're thinking and you're not going to be able to do it the exact same way that a person that's from that culture you're trying to adopt would do it. 
does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm. Zombies, another monster that is culturally appropriated. It's appropriated from voodoo. And yeah, that's another one. Check that box. <laughs> yep. And I would love to have someone on that is actually a practitioner of voodoo. And in terms of hoodoo, which is different, I would love to have um, so- someone to talk about uh, at least the differences. Yeah, and even though the zombie is appropriated from hoodoo, um, it still is kind of relevant to our current day situation, the way that we've become so soulless as a society. And I think capitalism is turning into zombies. That's kind of a theorem I've been having. Yeah, I wouldn't say the zombie thing is like huge right now, but like, I want to say like, maybe like five years ago, when Walking Dead, The Walking Dead was a huge thing. There, there was like very much like a zombie moment in our society. And I, I don't know, I feel like we've been having our zombie moment since like the 80s, but it's definitely still continuing. And yeah, I, I feel like that's been one of our culturally center monsters lately. And I think you hit it spot on as to, yeah, we can relate to that in a certain sense. And it's a fear that's like borderline believable because we all sort of have this, um, I don't know, very dark outlook on the world in the future, especially right now. When you said that um, the zombie stuff started in the 80s, that really connected a dot in my head. Okay, so in the 80s, that's when Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were in office. And so that's when we really saw trickle-down economics come into the forefront. That's when really like our hyper-reality just solidified and we are, it's what led us to this. And so I can see how um, that really reflects the way that zombie media has been um, more and more popular ever since the 80s and how we're seeing that um, rise not in the current moment. There haven't been any big zombie um, movies or TV shows. And I do think it's because The Walking Dead was so popular for such a long time that people are just tired of the zombie. Yeah, I, I feel like that's extremely accurate. Like, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, like another of these classic monsters that we could relate to our society is Frankenstein. And in his story, he, Frankenstein's monster was not the real monster, but it was Dr. Frankenstein who ended up being the actual monster. Um, And I was wondering if there's any situations that we could think about where the supposed monster or the supposed villain 
actually wasn't the real villain. That's an interesting one because I feel like, uh, like Doctor Frankenstein, it's like he he sort of like represents like humanity in general. Like he sort of represents society, if that makes sense. If if we look that deeply, but I feel like yeah, with Frankenstein and Doctor Frankenstein, um, Frankenstein's monster, yada yada, like it's almost like we're shown the humanity. Um, that's behind that creation. Um, I can't think of any specific circumstances though, uh, that are current, but yeah, I, I just feel like that one's sort of meta in a sense that, uh, it includes that. Yeah, I think it's funny because I was thinking along the same lines too, and, um, like, you could say that people and society are like both the the monster and the creator Ooh, that's a good point because also i feel like a big part of that movie is like this angry mob that comes from him right i was gonna start talking about like mass hysteria yeah and, yeah and like i'm <laughs> and like trump zombies like that's what i call trump supporters i call them trump zombies they just seem hysterical to me is is that like accurate yeah, I'd say that uh, that's accurate because they have a bunch of boogeymen and boogeywomen that they sort of go on their crusades against all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Kelly and Conway out here looking like the Crypt Keeper, so it's fitting. <laughs> yeah, true. I'd say that's one of those situations where we can see that the monster in this case quote unquote like be it AOC um, immigrants, women LGBTQ people in the Trump supporters mind those are monsters they occupy that same space in their brain that a monster would it's it's almost like we've sort of replaced politics uh, as our modern day horror And I feel like that's, like, so fitting because this election is kind of a horror story because no one, no one really feels like they have control in it. Um, No one knows if we're all going to come out alive. Like, it's just a scary situation. Um, But it's, it's because we're sort of, we're dealing with our unconscious fears as a society. We're dealing with, like, these big, ugly things. Um... But that's what happens when you treat your politicians like um, you either treat them like a monster if you disagree with them or you treat them like a god if you do agree with them. And they should be neither. They should be human. They should be on our level. Um, but I feel like that's why that's gotten so out of hand. But yeah, that we're, we're turning... Um, our modern modern horror is just actually turning into reality. Gosh, that's so true. Would you classify aliens as monsters? Sometimes they do function as monsters um, because they are like the most literal way that someone portrays the fear of an outsider. Mm, yeah. And bringing it back to 
how we turn politicians into heroes or monsters depending on our worldview that's kind of a symptom of postmodernism how we just don't have folklore anymore and so we fill those folklore voids with these figures that we have in our real life where the real villain in the story of America is the system that is capitalism patriarchy white supremacy that's valid and accurate and true yes yep i like those things you said now that we've exercised our demons join us next time where we'll be summoning them back to make us the meanest bloody mary you've ever had now for our intentions so my intentions my intention is to just enjoy halloween enjoy all of the spooky things that that are going around this season i like that like for me personally it's halloween 24/7365 and i like that i like everyone can be halloween like be spooky all like for out in the open like for normal Yeah, and it's just everyone can enjoy it. I enjoy it, you know. Being spooky is normalized for like a month, so that's good. Yeah, I'm just going to be spooky. That's my intention. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good intention. I feel like I'm right there with you. Um this year's been kind of a special year in the sense that things have been kind of off, and I feel like this Halloween is going to be a lot different than other halloweens but i think it's good for me and all of us whether that's all here or whoever's listening to just set the intention to make it a fun halloween regardless of the situation um regardless of if you can go to the halloween party or not or whatever um but there, it's, there's still ways to enjoy the season without um, going out and being wild and crazy and spreading COVID or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think Halloween is definitely what you make it. So my intention is to make this a great Halloween and to just continue sort of marinating on these ideas we've talked about today. But I think it's really uh, fun and satisfying to dig in to uh, these monsters and these fears and even this history about Halloween because we've sort of seen these things our whole lives uh, without really sort of stopping to pause and ponder where they could have come from, what sort of subliminal messaging and like points are coming across and all of these things we're taking in. So I think this has been a really like fascinating and um, informational episode for me and yeah Halloween is every day so um, my intention is to keep living that way just as um, everyone else my intention is also to have a cute Halloween um, but to also um, really live in that 
original meaning of this season, which is honoring those who have passed, those who have come before us, and continuing to build the relationship I have with my ancestors. And um, yeah, just feeling this season. Yeah, my intentions are to not get sad about not being able to um, do my liquid latex experiments just yet, but know that I could do that later on and also um try to uh like 11 keep connecting with like my ancestry lineage this has been our 10th episode follow us on twitter and instagram at thirst i spelled three s-t-e-y-e you can also find us on tiktok at thirst eye podcast that is the number three s-t-e-y-e podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t make sure to follow us on spotify and give us five stars on apple podcasts thank you and have a happy halloween